Good evening. If you're able and willing, would you please stand as we read from the book of John? Verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked up a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and then held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit is the word for us tonight, the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. Right at about three o'clock this evening, this afternoon, I paused for a moment and just tried to reflect back, you know, at that time. We, we do that sometimes. We, we have someone pass away, and so we remember that day, or, or we have someone who's passed away, and we, remember, we still remember the exact moment. And so whenever that clock strikes, it takes us back there. And so I wanted to be taken back to that three o'clock. At three o'clock, Jesus called for water. He was thirsty. He had been uh, tortured and beaten, uh, judged uh, on his feet all day long. And imagine when you're working hard, he was thirsty. But they didn't give him any water. You ever been to that place where you're so thirsty that you'd do anything for a glass of cold water? Maybe after a hike or a, or a difficult workout or working out in the lawn. And, and so a soldier fixed this sponge to this would-be spear and holds it up to his lips, and it, it was terribly bitter, but it did the job because it was wet. And he strained, he strained to just raise his head up and looked up to the heavens, and he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. That's what happened. And at the time, there was, there was so much emotion, there was so much going on in the moment from all the activities from the previous hours to this moment that those words weren't able truly to sink in and allow us to really ponder them. Later, as as Christians read the, John's gospel, there was this idea that captured the imagination. They heard those words again, and it dawned on them just how powerful these dying words of Jesus really were. It is finished. Uh, John wrote his gospel in the Greek, and the last words of Jesus are, are one word in the Greek. Tetelestai, tetelestai, it is finished. The expression, it is finished, was very well known to them. But for most, it passed right by. It was, it was literally part of their everyday language. 
When a servant had completed a, a very difficult job, he would go to his master and he would say, Tetelestai, I've overcome all the obstacles. I've overcome all of the difficulties that the task you've given me is now complete. I have finished the job to the best of my abilities. It is finished. When the Jewish people would go to the temple with their sacrifice, the priest, the high priest would would take what was brought and he would examine it, look it all over, and most likely didn't speak Greek, but he would use the Hebrew equivalent word, Shalem, tetelestai, meaning your offering is accepted. It's perfect. When the merchant in the marketplace made a sale and there's money that was exchanged, he would say, tetelestai. The deal's finished. It's complete. The bill has been paid in full. I'm satisfied. We're good. When an artist would would finish a painting or a sculpture, he or she would stand back and look at its final touches and say, Tetelestai, there's nothing needed to be done more to this piece. It's perfect. And when Jesus spoke these final words, he wasn't just saying, this is the end of me. And he certainly was not saying, I give up, I'm gonna let my enemies win. His last words weren't a final surrender to the power of evil and to Satan. He wasn't saying, you won, I lost, I'm done. All of those who heard the word tetelestai, the servants, those who offered sacrifices in the temple, the soldiers, the buyers and the sellers out in the marketplace, the artists, they understood that Jesus was saying that his job that was assigned to him, it's finished. There's nothing more to be said. There's nothing more to do to Telestai. It's finished. Everything is complete. And so the natural question on a night like this, when for some of us our emotions are stirred and we remember what could have been, what was, the question is begged, what was finished? What is Tetelestai? What was Jesus thinking? And it comes down to a single word, reconciliation. A terrible uh, gap existed between God and humanity caused by sin and evil. That was the current condition. That was the reality of the day. Our offenses, not theirs, ours. Our disobedience. All of us in this room, for those of you who are joining online, our sin created this gap. The hurt that we've, we've caused God and, and, and caused to other people destroyed our relationship with God. Life was broken. It's not how it was supposed to be. 
in the early 1990s movie, uh, Grand Canyon. Any of you remember that movie? Awesome. How about Die Hard? Okay, well, this has nothing to do with Die Hard. I just, I needed something. So Grand Canyon has Steve Martin and Danny Glover. Now you want to go see it. Anyway, the, the emphasis of the movie essentially is there's this tow truck driver, and he's trying to rescue this, uh, this driver whose car is broken down. And as he's trying to rescue this driver, these five hoodlum troublemakers begin to make threats to both the victim who has a stranded car and this poor tow truck driver. And the tow truck driver says this to the group. Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking if I can. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. And he's got it right. Everything's supposed to be different. You see, God created this, this perfect, beautiful world. And he arranged for people to live in harmony and, and peace and in love with one another. But look at what's happened. War. Poverty. Disagreement. Heartache. Hatred, murder, judgment, deceit, and the list goes on. That tow truck driver hit the nail on the head when he said, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's sin. My sin. Your sin. The sin of, of the worker who's driving home tonight and doesn't even know he's a sinner. But Jesus died on the cross to get rid of the power that condemns us. That condemns each and every one of us in this room and for all of you online. He comes to die a death in our place to get rid of that condemnation and to snap its power. His death bridged this deep gulf between God and us. And the restoration of the friendship between God and humanity, i.e. reconciliation, has been finished. The task for which God's Son came obediently to earth is finished. Now there's power in that. Because sometimes we think we have to add to that. We have to be good enough. We have to be perfect. We have to read enough. We have to, we have to pray enough. We have to worship better than the person sitting next to us. We have to go to the Bible study. We go on a mission trip. We gotta serve. We gotta earn 
when in reality, Jesus has won forgiveness for all people once and for all. Nothing else needs to be done. Nothing else needs to be said. Salvation is complete to Telestai. It's finished. And that's why we call today Good Friday. Maybe you've uttered the words, I don't know why we even call it Good Friday. There's nothing good about this. But you're not altogether wrong. But that, what we just talked about, is why we do call it Good Friday. It certainly was not a good day for Mary. Can you imagine being that parent? It definitely was not a good day for Peter. That's the epitome of a bad day. And it was certainly not a good day for anybody who was following Jesus, who loved him and was devoted to him, and now are scared out of their minds. That was not a good day. And it certainly was not a good day for Jesus. He endured painful, soul-wrenching agony, hanging by nails on his hands and his feet for hours until death on a rugged old wooden cross took his life for our sakes. You see, we call today Good Friday because the cross is proof of the power of God's love. It's what we hold on to. It changes everything. No one, not even God, would do or require such an act if it were not wrapped completely in love. And it was. And here we see a love that was prepared to do the unthinkable and then acted on it. An audacious love that the world has never seen since. Some of you know this. Love can make you do crazy things. Some of you dated a long time ago. And then some of you dated a really long time ago. But if we were to get up here and share our stories, there are some things that we did in love, in infatuation, that are crazy. That's Jesus. On July 29th, 1941, an Auschwitz deputy commander, Carl Fritz, ordered that 10 men be starved to death as retribution after three inmates were believed to have escaped. And upon hearing that he was sentenced to die, a sergeant in the Polish army and a father of two burst into tears in front of the commander, prompting Maximilian Kobe to approach this commander. I am a Catholic priest from Poland, Kobe said, according to the inmates who are present. I would like to take his place because he has a wife and children. Commander Fritz accepted Colby's offer. And the priest went to the notorious Auschwitz starvation bunker with nine other inmates. And the entire time, Colby 
try to console all of those inmates as he was one as well. Two weeks later, Colby and three other prisoners stepped out from the prison cell. The others had passed. These four had made it, only to be ushered to the gas chamber to finish the job. You see, Colby's love for another somehow enabled him to do what would normally be impossible. And that's the love of Jesus for you and for me. That's the love of God who's willing to send his son. And we know this crazy love because people do extraordinary things for other people, especially if you love them. There's almost no heights you won't climb for the one you love the most. And these acts of love that we do here on earth They give us a glimpse, albeit a small one, but they give us a glimpse of the kind of love that God has for us. God the Father sent his dearly loved son into dangerous territory, our world. And he sent him knowing what the outcome would be. So different than us, if we send our kids on a mission trip or we send them to youth group or we send them to school and we, we're almost guaranteed they're going to come back and we kind of know how it's going to play out. Imagine knowing what God knew. He allowed his son to be treated with cruelty. He stood by and watched his son receive nails in his hands and in his feet. And he watched his son hang there in complete agony. I don't even like it when one of my kids like hits their head or or trips and falls. That makes me jump, just watching them in pain. But to watch your only begotten son hang in agony, to stand by, when you could have rescued and cursed those who were treating him so brutally and maliciously. But out of love, God allowed his only son to carry the sin of humanity and thus become so inwardly and outwardly repulsive that he turned his back on him and left him all by himself on purpose. I don't think we can even begin to fully appreciate what God the Father went through to abandon his son and to let him die at the hands of evil people. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Just in that little bit of phrase, we we get a little bit of insight into the terror that our Jesus experienced. You see, there was pain, but there was also fear. The weight of sin of all humanity on one. And God did all of this for us. 
for you. For me. And he did all of this because of a deep love that's beyond anything we can imagine. Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us, not once we got our act together, not once we got all cleaned up and we looked pretty, not when we finally figured it out, but while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. In other words, Paul is saying, if God loved us that much when we were enemies, how much does he love us now that we're part of the royal priesthood? How much does he love us now that, that we can call him friend? That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves you. You certainly the church, certainly of all of humanity, but God is crazy about you. Even though you don't deserve it. Even though I do not deserve it. Even though we could never earn it. And even though we were and are still yet sinners. Jesus died for us. See, Jesus' announcement, it is finished. It's clear and it's simple. Jesus has completed the task. It's all done. The reason why he came as a human has been fulfilled. And he came so that you and I might experience freedom. So that you and I might experience salvation. So that you and I no longer have to try to earn, but receive. He came to give us victory. He came to give us peace. He came to set the captives free. He came to restore sight. He came to make the lame walk. He came to restore marriages. He came to take someone who is, is, is addicted to fill in the blank and to bring freedom into their heart. And he is still doing that tonight all over the world as Christ followers celebrate and remember and contemplate the heaviness of Good Friday. He is still at work. It is finished, but he is not. There is still more. He came to restore the heart. He, he came so that we could live. He came 
And I'm happy to repeat his blessed words to proclaim once and for all to tell us die. For each of you, to tell us die. It's finished for you. He's got you. He loves you. It cost him everything. But he would do it again tonight. And again. And again. And again. And that's what causes us to approach a table with some crackers and some store-bought juice. And to join with the church throughout the ages that have approached this table with a heart of gratitude, but also a heart of self-awareness that none of us have a right even to approach that table, much less sit right next to Jesus. But we get to. And we're told that every time we take the bread and we take the cup, we are to do so in remembrance of Jesus. So a lot of times we'll approach this table with just sincere gratitude and happiness and joy because of what the promise is tonight. I'm gonna invite you to, to approach the table with a spirit of gratitude. Certainly for what Jesus went through, but more importantly, those three beautiful words. I love you. It is finished. What a gift. And what a gift it is to gather and remember that together. It's good. Alex and Rebecca are gonna to continue to lead us a little bit as, as we get ready to close. We're just gonna ask uh, that as you come to the table, we're not gonna pass it around, we're gonna have you stand and, and come and approach the table. If you would leave your row to the sides of the room, come up to one of the two stations, and then come back to your seat up the middle. We would appreciate that. And take it at your leisure. You wanna save it till the very end after we've got a couple of worship songs finished, then, then please feel free to do that. If you wanna take that right away, if you wanna go stand in the lobby and walk around and, and pray, if you wanna kneel down, if you wanna stand, you wanna raise your hands, you wanna put them in the pockets, whatever you wanna do, I'm just gonna invite you, please don't miss tonight. Don't miss the opportunity to, to personally interact with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Easter is going to be great, but we're not there yet. Let's sit tonight to feel and absorb the reality of what took place over 2,000 years ago that still is true today. So be blessed as we take communion together.